Welcome to the show. And as I promised earlier today, those of you who got my text, we're going to have an uh, interview of Tom Marchesello, and it's going to be lots of fun. Trillion dollar markets, how many of them can there be? Well, there's actually quite a few. So, um, you know, a trillion here, a trillion there. Pretty soon you're talking about real money, right? Okay, so here we go. Water, the blue gold, and it's Thursday, November 16, 2023. Uh, briefing number 237. Wow. Okay. Well, this is briefing before Thanksgiving. And I, we typically don't have briefings on Thanksgiving just because <laughs> it's just too much, really. And uh, let's see, it's Thursday, the 23rd. But anyway, it's always a Thursday to my knowledge. Anyway, so let's keep on trucking here. And um, these disclaimers. There we go. All right. Now, um, set the stage here a little bit. We have, as I mentioned a couple briefings ago, plummeting water levels in the Mississippi River. And remember, I covered the whole saltwater intrusion problem in New Orleans. Um, but there's an additional element here, and that is that uh, the drought doesn't just make the corn and soybeans have less water. Obviously, they need water, but but there's other consequences, and we're going to explore this in the video that I'm about to play. So here we go, Tom Marchicello with a full report and an update on progressive water treatment. So let's see what he's got to say, okay? Tom Marchicello, welcome to the CEO briefing. Uh, it's been a while since we had you on. Um, you've been nose down, tail up in the in the field, you know, working, working the McKinney angles mainly. Uh, you were involved a lot with modular water systems, but now they're pretty much launched. Um, and now progressive is the big Topic. We'll get to that shortly. What I wanted to start with is some of the stuff you've been noticing in your research. Um, first of all, the story that that is basically the you know uh, everyone's story right now, which is um, drought and uh, unexpectedly, Mississippi is um, showing drought, um, <clears throat> and there is um, you know just a nightmare for the water in an area that, that supposedly has lots of water um, related to that is um, the um, Mississippi river is becoming less and less navigable. I would not want to be a tugboat captain on that river right now. It'd be very embarrassing to get stuck on a, on a shoal. Um, not a pretty sight. Um, so um Tell me a little bit what's going on, and then we'll get to the, the, the third topic. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, look, you and I are in the water biz, so we're paying attention to water issues you know, all the time. And after many years of watching it, the idea of having a water shortage and another drought, or God forbid, the Dust Bowl recurring again from the 1920s and 30s, is actually a scary prospect, right? So, I mean, it's we know the earth changes. We know things change based on climate. But we also know that human activity can make some impacts to this as well. So we see, you know, the Mississippi, you know, having reduced amount of water supply in addition to saltwater intrusion. And, you know, on the surface of it, it sounds terrible. The, the world is ending, climate's bad. But for us in our business, we have to think, well, what does that do to my clients? And right. what does that do to our business opportunity, right? And we have a lot of agricultural clients as well as, you know, other type of industrial clients that rely on the water to do the business, right? So- when water becomes more scarce, regulations come in and say, you got to recycle your water more and you have to reuse your water more and you got to clean up your water more and reuse it so you can plant your crops, 
Sure. Right. That's a big impact. So that's, we put our hand up and go, Hey, I can help do that. I got machines. Bad news for everybody is good news for us in a way, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it's true. I mean, it's a weird way of explaining it, but you know, I feel for them in the sense of, you know, they, maybe they should have planned ahead or maybe they were already doing it, but they weren't doing it enough. Or this is so wild that now they need five times more equipment to do something that was easy when there was plenty of abundant water. You know, these things do happen. Uh, you know, so what you're watching is you're seeing certain states on the southernmost tip of Mississippi needing a little bit more of this equipment. And at the same time, the Corps of Engineers are coming in trying to figure out, you know, how to rectify the situation. So it's a it's a really interesting situation. Yes. And it, it means that I think we'll be entering the uh the ag space from an interesting direction. Let's let's take a look at this story that's that you sent me about. Uh, what does this headline mean? Drought is more than just water stress for corn and soybeans. Yeah. So, I mean, if we have a lot of crop, you know, along the Mississippi, especially as you go up, you know, towards the, the top of it, all through that area. And corn and soy being probably the number one largest amount of crop that's being grown and using this water. So when you have a reduction of water, you're dramatically impacting the opportunity for planting and growing of corn and soy, which use a lot of water. They really do. They suck up a lot of water. So this uh, this water stress is dangerous for those crops. And these crops, you know, are super important to the United States because it's one of our number one exports. The United States, you know, who's a net importer of a lot of things, is actually an exporter specifically on soy, just like Brazil and mm-hmm. the United States go head to head selling soy to Asia, for example. It's, our, it's a big crop for us. And there's about a hundred and 30 to $200 billion a year of export going just in this one crop, which is soy. It it literally represents almost 1% of our total GDP just in this one crop. So it's, it's a big deal. Now, in addition to this use for food and also for biofuels, there's a third area that's, that's kind of interesting. That's emerging we're not going to get into it very deeply because it's still very speculative for us, but but tell me a little bit about what your research has shown. Oh, you want the, the unicorn story? Well, no, I just want to hint at it because it's very early for us. So I don't want to say we're in it, but it certainly is an opportunity. Oh, okay. Well, so look, I like billion dollar industries, but I really like trillion dollar industries more, right? So, you know, when you talk about agriculture, that's a trillion dollar industry, right? I love being there. We know there's business. But there's other businesses that are also super interesting. And for example, the power industry and the energy industry, another trillion dollar industry. We do work there because we do water treatment and liquid treatments there. And uh, you know, within that power and energy sector and tech industries, we've been seeing some growth opportunity where some of this uh, stuff we're talking about gets used over there. And there's a need for cleaning and separating, you know, fluids. And I think there's an opportunity for us. Well, so specifically for some larger clients that we can't name, there is, we're working with their data centers, right? Yes. So in the data center market, there's this mega opportunity taking place all over the place as data centers need to grow dramatically due to things like the internet and mobile and oh ai right Let's use that buzzword ai ai whatever that's this incredible cloud that's going to teach me my life but you know those ai machines they suck up a lot of power oh they're so hungry and they burn so hot those servers are in there screaming on fire cool me off 
And guess what? The way you cool off a data center right now is you blow a lot of cold air on it. When you try to cool it off and the data center is like, that's not working, bro. Too hot. Going to slow down now. Take a break. So the brilliant geniuses at places like Microsoft and you know Google and everybody have figured out that the better way to cool a data center down is using water. Just like a BMW motorcycle. You betcha. Yeah. Liquid cooled engines, baby. So liquid cooled data centers is actually the number one trend in data centers right now. And guess who's really good at water and liquid? Go me, us. We know how to do this. So (laughs) there's opportunities for us to be working with certain data center providers and helping them with their water treatment because you can't do liquid cooling without cleaning your water up properly. So very exciting and uh, more to follow on that. I think it's really interesting direction. So you've been, um, we, we had a giant year last year with that big power company that, that we sold uh, that one $5 million contract. And it's been digestion ever since. I know that it's been kind of hectic because the good news is you get a bag, big contract. The bad news is you get a big contract, right? Both. <laughs> the bane of my existence. Like, look, I got this great huge contract. Oh my god, I got this great huge contract. It's like you know, it, it, it's like that. Some days, the the advantage of the big contract is I know what I'll be doing for a year or two years, and right. I can work on improving you know the operation along the curve. The bad part is it, it's it's big sometimes. So in the end, you're trying to then complete the project and then move on to the next project. And so in those little nitty end of it, you know, you have a couple silly things like, you know, for example, we were pretty much at end of closeout on one of our big projects and everything went great on the majority of the equipment. And then there's this tiny little probe about this big, this is it. It's about that big and $2,000 item that just wasn't functioning great. So we literally had to bring the manufacturer out for some warranty work and swap probes out. And then voila, this million dollar system works. And I mean, it's kind of crazy. That's like saying that like the, the spark plug in your car breaks, but now your car, you know, yeah, it's, it's like that. <laughs> well, and, uh, and the client wants to make sure everything works. It's obvious. Um, so we're kind of nearing the end of that particular death march. Um, and there's new contracts coming in. Tell me a little yeah. bit about what you're doing to essentially scale up, you know, PWT, get it more and more able to handle high traffic and so on. Yeah. So the uh, the first thing we're doing is we're, we're bringing in some new customers and new projects, which is great. So we've got a nice pipeline built up. Uh, am I allowed to talk numbers? I don't know if we talk numbers, but it's many multi-millions of dollars of pipeline. That's good. There you go. <laughs> anyway, and uh, it you know it's it's actually going well. We're diversifying the pipeline a little bit, so I want to make sure that we have a few large ones, some medium sized ones, and small sized ones, because then I can improve my cycle time on some of the smaller ones. Those will improve cash flow, which is great. The other thing that makes a big impact for us is to sell more commoditized product, whether it's parts and equipment, filters, chemicals, things that all of the customers need. Then I'm able to go out to the hundreds of clients we've always had, go, hey, how you doing? Do you need some more chlorine? No problem. Let me send that over to you. So those are, you know, the strategic things we look at, you know, looking at our margins. And we have very nice markups and margins in some of that commoditized business, which will turn faster. That allow me to carry some inventory, put it on a truck, deliver it across town, and that'll that'll improve and soften some of the the ups and downs. So it's a little bit more smooth in our revenue projections. 
Now to back that up, of course, I got to hire people. So yay, I just hired a couple of guys. So I got a new project manager and I have a new sales guy and Great. we're getting them focused and putting them on some of the new initiatives. So it's not just, hey, come over here and do the old stuff still. It's like, no, no, no. I'm going to spend half your time going in the direction that we want as the business, which is sell more of this stuff, the standardized commoditized stuff. Let's get those numbers up. You know, we want, want to pump it. And then that'll kind of keep us on track. Good, good. Well, I'm really happy you're on top of Progressive because one of the things about a company like Progressive is it's basically the biggest asset of the company walks out the door at 5 p.m. every day, which is the people. I mean, PWT is about people. Modular Water is more about, about the uh, proprietary technology and so forth. But PWT being a custom engineering solutions company, it depends on the talent. And um, we want them to keep growing, obviously. They're very, very competent. They have a wonderful reputation. I think we know that. Um, most of their business comes from word of mouth. So we want to reinforce that. So, um, well, I guess you're having fun then. Yeah, I mean, you, you got to have some fun. Like, look, I, I was telling the guys the other day, if you're if you're hating life and you're not having fun, then like, you know, make a change. Like, honestly, it's like, what, what good is it to, to be unhappy? It's like, there's so much business out there. I always tell people, there's so much money. There's so much business all the time. It's everywhere. And it's just open your eyes, do a little reading and research, make a few phone calls. And you'd be stunned at just how many people are out there looking all the time for what we do. Yeah. But you got to connect with them and you got to make the pitch, you know, and then look, COVID was weird in the last couple of years have been weird about pricing, right? That was always a big thing. And then you see inflation everywhere, cost, um, how much we spend on milk and basic commodities. Well, the same thing infiltrated all industries. So I think everybody's ideas of what's the right price has been probably the hardest part in all yeah. this business. Adjusting you know, expectations for sure. Change some expectations on, hey, you're going to pay a little bit more, but you're going to get it. Right. Or we can't get that price anymore. You know, I look back on some of those sheets and I go, whoa, I bought that part for 500 bucks like four years ago. And now I'm paying 1600. Ouch. Right. Like that's a real thing. These parts, some of them did go up. Now, granted, the good news is some of the parts have been coming down a little bit. We mm. have seen some improvement. You know, things like copper prices finally came back down a little bit and, you know, areas like steel have been tricky, you know, for basic issues. You know, electronics, still expensive, but the supply chain's finally improving. So you're seeing like the wisps of, oh, this could get better for us in the supply chain side. You know, so now it's about, will it come in? You know, it's, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> well, as the, you know, the Chinese curse word, uh, the Chinese curse goes, may you live in interesting times, right? I think we're there. <laughs> well tom thank you very much for being um you know in the trenches i appreciate it and um we'll touch base again um uh, you know in early part of next year and see how you've been doing meanwhile um i wish you a, a good sliding arrival into home base with Dece december 31st with uh some good numbers uh, can i parachute in sure you can parachute in as long as you nail it Right there, poster stamp. All right, I'll do my best. <laughs> Did you see? I just saw the video yesterday. This guy jumped without a parachute onto a net from an airplane. I did see that. That is absolutely bonkers. I mean, 
what is your risk tolerance at that point? Are you like just devoid of any sense of self? I mean, that's crazy. No, thanks. <laughs> oh, Lord. Well, better than than me. Anyway, uh, what we're doing is slightly less hazardous. And uh, the good news is we're having fun while we're doing it. So thank you and thank thank all the team at uh, PWT, okay? No problem. I will. Thanks. So that was a, a good interview with Tom. Now, what Tom is talking about, um, basically, um, he talked about it quite a bit, but just to to flesh it out even further, data centers have to move to what's called well, liquid cooling um, using uh, what's called a dielectric fluid. Dielectric means um, dia means through, electric means electricity. So electricity passes through without conducting it, meaning it's an insulating medium. And you put the literally put the um, racks directly in this liquid. Now the liquid is made up of a couple of different ways of making it, but one major way, for example, that's marketed by Cargill is with soy oil. And so that's a major, major use of soybean um, that it is impacted. And what he's getting at here is that this is a transformation that's going to occur across the boards and an opportunity for us. And we're already in the market. We already are doing water treatment for data centers. We can't say who they are, but some of the major players out there um, are already doing the water treatment because these, these data centers require lots of cooling. For example, the, um, the, the cooling towers have to be uh, kept mold-free and so forth. So we're already in there, but this is an, uh, an opportunity in what he rightly calls a this data center market truly is a trillion dollar market. So with that, let's keep on trucking here. Now, I've been talking about this big reshoring trend. And uh, I came across an article a couple of weeks ago that that isn't directly about that, but I think you'll see where it goes. So let me just show you what I what I ran into here. This is from James Altucher. Uh, this is obviously a pitch, but what he's doing here is he's talking about Brand new prediction, American manufacturing will leave China. I've been talking about this. I featured um, Peter Zihan, who uh, predicted it in great detail, and it's already happening. Um, a few months ago, we heard that from somebody um, who's on site that there's a million square foot deficit of, uh, man of factory and warehouse space in uh, Tijuana, for example. There is negative unemployment right now in that area. Um, and that's only the beginning. It's going to start accelerating. Well, here he's talking really about the fact <clears throat> that these factories are going to be highly optimized with AI, obviously, right? And they'll create new American jobs in construction, maintenance, transportation, management, and more. And this, again, Peter Zihan has predicted a long-term boom, at least a decade uh, of a manufacturing boom because of this, right? Now, these are going to be, the, what's going to make them competitive against China and Vietnam and so forth is A, they'll be right here, but B, they will be ultra efficient. They'll be the next generation, highly automated, very few actual people, lots of uh, robotics being used. And apparently you can, you know, the robots will help you in your home, but that's that's not the killer app. The killer app is the use of the robots to run these new factories. And so here's another trillion dollar industry. He says hundred trillion dollar industry, but the the factories, the reshoring alone is going to be worth it. You know, it's going to enter the trillions. Uh, 
All right, so what does that mean? Number one, the reshoring boom will accelerate. Number two, the factories launched in North America will be highly automated with AI and robotics heralding a new manufacturing boom on this continent. Now, we already saw with COVID that when people moved out of town, they ran into very over, they basically overstressed the infrastructure. And this is going to be a major barrier, energy, roads, water availability, but also water treatment, both of those things, right? And that's obviously the solution, which is what we're seeing already with these housing developments that are outpacing the water utilities in Northern Texas, as I've as I've shown you, decentralization is the solution, fully self-sufficient factories. So this is going to be a giant boom and the water treatment will be integrated. And so this is, to me, a vast market. Uh, it's just beginning. All right. Well, last week I played the Eric Muller Show. Really good podcast. Let me play you part two of it right now. Our water infrastructure, it's in deep trouble. And it's being underlined by these little canary and coal mine events like Flint, Michigan, and so forth. But there's much more happening that is just not being talked about. There's a real estate boom going on between in North Texas, between Dallas and the Oklahoma border. It's going so much faster than, than putting in utilities. They're not even trying. So here, to me, the, the solution leapt out to the infrastructure problem, but also the opportunity, which is we're going to have to unburden the, the grid. We're going to have to take businesses off the grid and make them do their own water treatment. It's called decentralized water. It's going to relieve the central grid because they're not getting the money anyway. And who's going to build a big sewage plant here in, in Pinellas County where it's already overbuilt? So not going to happen. So just relieve the burden make the industry and agriculture players do their own water treatment. And Bob's your uncle. Now, what's interesting is they like it. That's that's what I learned. And that's what's pro propelling the boom of our company today. Like we, we get, let's say a brewery is being forced to truck half its water to another county because the local utility won't take it. And so they're forced to do their own thing. But then they go, oh, this isn't bad because number one, I can control the water rates. Do you know that water and sewage rates are inflating at the same rate as college tuition? Which no, I did is, not know that at all. No. The, the, the highest hospital services. Next below that is college tuition and water is right there with it. So it's hurting people, but it's also hurting businesses. And they're like, okay, so if I have a, if I do my own water treatment, then I can, I can control costs, right? Because on the water treatment side, I don't have to pay sewage rates. I just, I'm permitted to just, you know, dump it into the groundwater, which is perfectly good. And that way it recharges the aquifer. Everything's great. On the incoming water, since I'm able to recycle, I'm paying less incoming water fees as well for the potable water. And thirdly, there's less regulatory noise from the city. I'm on my own. It's great. So those three reasons are big drivers. And that's propelling that finally a change is starting to happen. You know, water companies generally grow at only like 10, 15% a year. We're growing 2X, 3X per year. We're doubling and tripling per year because of this wave. And large companies like PepsiCo has, has committed to 80% recycling of their water. Well, you can only recycle if you do it your own treatment. If you send it to the city, it's never coming back. So that's, that's the breakthrough. And then... We had that breakthrough coming into the COVID and then COVID hit. And at the time, this is February, 2020, we saw the first crash of the price of crude and we're like, oh, there's a problem. Wuhan closed for a month. We got a problem. 
This is before the lockdowns. This is before the CARES Act, all this stuff. And we're like, this is going to be a real problem. And people are going to run out of money. And so we came up with the idea of uh, water as a service. Like, we'll install that system in your in, in your business. We'll continue to own that piece of equipment. We'll maintain it. And you just pay by the gallon. And that became water on demand. That was the last piece. So that's today what we have is decentralized water with these compact systems called modular water systems combined with the capital solutions. So it kind of works like GM and GM financial because we operate more in the mid band, you know, 500,000 to $2 million systems. They have to be standardized like hotcakes. They can't be this. We'll take, you know, two years to install your, your system BS that goes on, which means that we have a scalable business and we can wrap it up. So that's the exciting moment we're in right now. We're starting to move the needle. Yeah, that that's very a very niche, I would say, as far as a business model goes. I don't know if you thought if you could, you know, go back in time, did you think you'd be working in something like this specific? At least I think it's it's very niche in terms of, you know, it's something like like your you mentioned earlier, you just turn the faucet on, the water comes on. Like I I don't think about it really probably on a day-to-day basis. It's something I almost just take for granted the ability that that you have you know, water that just works. And I'm actually a little nervous to look up my zip code on there. Not that I like would think it has anything weird about it, but I live in downtown Rochester, Minnesota. I'm hopeful that we're, we're pretty good. We're right next to Mayo Clinic. You know, we're treating people for, for, for a variety of health conditions. Hopefully we're doing a pretty good job, but yeah, Riggs, I think another, another aspect that got me thinking about it is your, your company is public, right? So you could, you could invest in the company's stock, but are, are Americans able to invest in water projects like this or are they able to can they invest directly in you know a type of water project is that possible sure well origin clear has been a a small public company for 14 years now and it's listed you can invest in it great but in addition what you can do is you can become an investor in the in a in these bundles of water projects that we put together to make because if i make it free for the brewery owner well who pays for the machine Right. So what we did was we decided to emulate the oil well master limited partnership model, which regular investors can get uh, each of these MLPs is about 60 of them, $300 billion market. It's not niche once it, once it grows. Each, they can invest directly in that. And each one of those MLPs is a basket of properties, pipelines, gas, oil, nicely diversified, and they get royalties. And that's a really good model. So we decided to emulate that. And so water on demand is that, and you can invest in what we call water like an oil well. And what's great about it is in addition to getting stock, because we do that, stock in the public company, but in addition, you have royalties and a lean uh, capability on the equipment to enforce your royalty, which gives us, makes it asset backed. So that's a really interesting model. People like it a lot. You know, it's interesting because early stage booms always start at a level that is like, I remember in 1993, there were these weird internet utilities. It was nothing much. It was kind of like, I think one, one had a name of, a, of an animal. I mean, it was like these weird things. It was not until Mark Andreessen's browser came along that it just kind of like blew up. Well, that's, so it's very deceiving. You think that, that this is nothing, but that's precisely when you want to look at it. It's not too early. 10 years ago, it would have been too early, but now it's starting to ramp. Back in May, there was a first unicorn in a long time in the water industry, and they are doing this decentralized water treatment for large companies. They have Merck, they have all you know the big food and beverage companies and so forth. 
they're very prestigious. They manage, you know, they have fund money behind them. That's great. It's a good business. There's only so many of those, right? But there's many, many more of the middle class of water treatment, which is where we like to be. So that that's an indication that water tech is taking off. Now, the decentralization thing is interesting because anytime you have something goes from centralized to decentralized, you have a huge boom in the, the economy of that thing. For example, AT&T broke up and it resulted in all the bell, the baby bells and MCI and uh, VOIP and, the, and eventually the internet, all of it. it. And it all came out of this one just dislocation that occurred. When, it, when it's all monopolized and centralized, it doesn't move. It doesn't, it doesn't develop. P- people like you and me don't get involved because it's a dull job. Well, I'm going to go work for AT&T for 30 years. Right. It's not, not to denigrate AT&T. They, were, they, they delivered very good tech, but the monopoly concept was, was bad, just as a monopoly concept is bad for water. Here's why. In Ireland, water is free for people, for regular people. Why isn't it free here? Well, because 90% of the use is by industry and agriculture. We get those off the grid. Now we can start relieving the burden and servicing people properly. I meant to ask you, Eric, what is your zip code? 55904. All right. Let's take, let's take a look at it. Yes, sir. Uh, there's a few subdivisions. Which do you know? Briarwood, Byron, Chester Heights. There's a bunch. Wow. Uh, Rochester. I'll take there Rochester. There it is. Yep. Rochester right there. Yep. All right. So. What I have nine contaminants detected, 20 total, but nine exceed the health guidelines. So what are they? Well, you've got bromodichloromethane, which is 12 times. Now, the utility, of course, is compliant, 0.725 parts per billion, but EWG has determined is 0.06 parts per billion. So that's 12 times. Haloacetic acid is 28 times. Another one is 94 times. So they exceed guidelines, right? Now, there's only nine out of 20 others that, that are fine, you know, toluene, fluoride, dioxane, they're good, right? That's the problem that we have. So these utilities will be able to focus on this more because they'll they'll be servicing the regular people. They'll be unburdened and water rates don't have to keep skyrocketing. There's a serious default rate by people not paying their water bills and being cut off. And now you got to go get your water in a bottle. It gets even worse, right? So this is to me, a social justice thing. We've got to get industry off this central grid so it goes back to servicing the people. Yeah, and you mentioned uh, decentralization versus centralization. So that got me thinking, you know, in terms of maybe the blockchain or crypto and different ways that, you know, from the finance space and, and the asset backed space, how we're kind of seeing that more and more and more. And you are actually like, you're pioneering some water stable coins, are you not? In, in terms of being able to, to have an asset that is backed by water, is that, is that something that you're currently working on? Yes. Well, in 2018, when there was things were kind of wild and crazy, I pioneered something called WaterChain, which was a blockchain solution. <clears throat> the problem that we ran into was a very simple one, is that there's no standardized price for water. It varies widely depending on jurisdictions. So how do you get a market? And it wasn't until we developed Water on Demand where every single gallon is paid for on these, these, these operating contracts. You start multiplying those and then you clone Water on Demand to different regions. So you have a Water on Demand we wouldn't do it, but we'd have a finance partner in Singapore, for example, do it for Singapore, et cetera, Singapore, Malaysia. And you start multiplying these water on demands. And now they're all equivalent because people are paying in the local currency roughly the same amount of money per gallon that they would elsewhere. 
because it's the same base cost. It's no longer based on the scarcity of the resource, which is why Colorado River water, you know, varies by 10,000% depending where you get it from or, or whose rights you have. That goes away and you get a pretty level playing field. And, you know, the problem, the reason why there's no international water market or even a national one is because of that problem. If I have a water problem in Northern California, I can't buy options on Singapore water. It's not a, I can't do it. I can't hedge my risk. But under this new model, we can. So that's where we're moving towards. What I felt was important to do was like, let's get our basic business going. Let's let's proliferate that. Blockchain can't operate in a vacuum. It's like, well, what are you blockchaining? <laughs> uh, well, I have a cool concept and everybody should like join it and and we'll do a we'll go to the moon and everybody gets screwed by like like Sam Bankman-Fried did. No, this is not. The new model is to create something that has solid backing, is asset-based. For example, we can take these dividend payments and tokenize them. That's a great idea. But for now, ACH is just fine. And here's a final issue with tokens is that the SEC doesn't like them. And I'm regularly going to the SEC to get registered for various offerings. And the last thing I need is then to go, what's this token you got? And are you marketing a security? And I was like, you know what? We're just going to hold off for now. And there'll be plenty of time. So I think is there's a future in water stable coins. But as I say, job one is to establish the base business. Yeah, I think that's right. And it's probably a smart play to to be nice with the SEC as of right now with with all the, all the touch points you have with them. But but Riggs, yeah, I think, I mean, this is all very interesting. I, I think that a lot of people listening probably are thinking like I am in terms of you're you're clearly like disrupting something that is, you know, has been stagnant or has been steady for a period of time. And that's exciting for someone hearing that as either an entrepreneur or someone that's aspiring to maybe start a company of their own. Do you have like maybe a blanketed statement of advice for someone that wants to disrupt? Or is there a you know, is there something that that a person could maybe look for if they're not certain of what area they want to disrupt in? You know, yours, obviously, yours, you shared your story with us and kind of how you got to where you are. So there's obviously some natural, you know, play to it. And there could be, you know, a combination of hard work and luck that leads you to an opportunity. But yeah, just just kind of as a as a general statement for someone that wants to disrupt, what, what would your advice be to that person? Well, I think where I've given myself a hard time with disruption is where I've gone in to a space without a thorough infiltrated knowledge of it. I remember in, in the early 80s, I started a business in New York City uh, selling uh, business computers, first generation business computers. And when I, the first one I sold, I did not even know where the on switch was, right? I was like, how complicated could it be? And I found somebody who was interested in buying a computer and I said, and they go, well, let's see how it works. I'm like, wait, where's, where's, the, where's the on switch? <laughs> That's so awesome. I don't I don't advise that 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 caused me a lot of I, I was then learning I had twelve people on a New York City payroll Manhattan payroll it was royally painful so I learned on the job but it was it was it proved to be actually one of my toughest learning experiences I it was I literally gave up on that business and handed it over to a guy who did a great job with it but that was a learning experience like okay get some familiarity you got to have that. And that's the number one thing. Now, having done that does not mean you have to take a 20-year job with a Fortune 500 corporation. You know, just get to know it, try to apprentice in some way, 
get up to speed and try things in a microcosm as a side gig or whatever, and then jump into it. At that point, I advise just go for it and do the rest of the learning in the pool. Yeah. And is that, would you say with, that was a example of the mistake-based marketing initially, like kind of that learning from that, that failure, so to speak, before, you know, you developed, you know, your skill set to, to be able to, to get to the next step. I mean, if you, if you didn't know where the on switch was that time, that certainly wasn't going to be probably a mistake that you were going to make again in the future. You were going to, you were going to have, have done your research, right? Is that, is that kind well, of mistake-based a, marketing is just conscious, consciously trying things out in the market and presumably you know what the heck you're doing. The reason why I gave up on that business was again, because of a lack of really being in the business deeply because of what I didn't realize was I was creating first time users, business users of computers, and it was incredibly tough, hard work, et cetera, not really profitable. But what I didn't realize is there was a life cycle of supporting these people for 20 years that is incredibly rich. And that's what my that my buddy Juan he took 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 this over, and he made it that business. To this day, he has clients that I that we opened together in the '80s in New York City. That's an incredible amount of annuity, and that's what I didn't fully realize. So that's why it's so important to have you know really embed yourself in the industry. I think it's super important. Yeah, and building that skill set, and and probably finding out at the at the same time what is you know what is igniting you, what is what is fulfilling you or fueling your you know, passion, so to speak, to, to want to work more on those things. So obviously entrepreneurship has been a big piece of that for you for the extended period of time and, and leadership as well. And you mentioned pre-interview that, you know, you're getting ready to, to even start your own podcast. So that's extremely exciting and wish you the best of luck on that. And, and Riggs, as we, as we kind of close down, just one last question for you. Is there, is there a myth about entrepreneurship that you want to debunk on the podcast today? Something that that maybe is widely believed to be true, but you have found out this is not the case and you want to make sure that people do not you know, fall victim to that false belief. Well, I think the biggest myth out there that and it prevents people in corporate America from taking to making the jump, even if they're frustrated, and that is that it's the uncertainty, right? I was listening to an interview of Matt Taibbi on Joe Rogan, and he said, I'm being paid many times what I was paid at Rolling Stone, many times, because he's He's on Substack and it's got this great Substack did a great disruption of the publishing space. And so he's doing really, really well. So it's it's it is not impossible. I have a nephew who he cracked the code on Amazon selling. He he's freaking brilliant. It's not something I would do because it's not what I am, but he did it. And it's this stuff is doable. It, it's it's hard to find an, a niche and something you love and get some traction in it, but it's not as hard or as, or as risky as people think to develop the business and get into revenue. Very sound advice. Really appreciate hearing that. You know, kind of ignite my fire, so to speak, as we close this episode. And it just dawned on me how, how appropriate the name of the company is, Origin Clear. You're dealing with water. You're also extremely transparent and water is transparent. So it's, it's all coming together here at the end, Rig. So Again, can't, you, can't thank you enough for being a guest on the podcast today. We'll look forward to keeping up with you in the future and, and best of luck with everything, sir. Eric, it was a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. Keep up the good work, okay? Thank you, sir. You too. So yeah, that was we broke it up into two parts. There was a lot of good material in there. And what was good about it is I sort of um, shared some of my early uh, business experiences. I think if you if you collate all of the podcasts I, I'm on, you know, eventually you sort of, you can just do a mosaic on on what I've been through and maybe I'll just throw a ghostwriter at them and have that ghostwriter 
write something up. But you know, one of the problems that we have because we wanted to write a book, um, like a year ago, a couple years ago. The problem is, is things are moving so fast; it's hard to get a retrospective. But we will get to it. All right. Um, and let, let me just check. I've, uh, there's been some comments stacking up, so um, I just want to, uh, Scott. Uh, so Tom, Tom Dialco said hello, everyone. Ron Williams, weeds needs with much less water than crops and can choke the crops out. Weed, weeds need much less water. That's so true. Yeah. Um, yeah. Paul Fetcher, now that you mentioned it, how many people are looking for this? Yes. Yeah, Luke Aikens, no parachute, 25,000 foot airplane jump. Thank you, Paul, for that reference so that people know where to go. He also says Sir Arthur Guinness negotiated a 99 year riparian lease. Riparian means uh, riverside or, or river, a river right on the river Liffey, rent-free, well, of course. Paul Fetcher says, I'm still on a computer even as we speak. <laughs> well, Paul, in fact, knows full well because um, we, we uh, Paul was a client and a, and a very, and helped me tremendously with my early business back in the 80s. He knows a lot of what went on there and it was exciting and different, that's for sure. And uh, Ron Williams, we're not worried about you completing an understandable sentence. You're just doing just fine. Anyway, so that's what that's all about. Now, I, I want to, we're, we're, we're going to jump into the freewheeling discussion shortly, but I do want to cover some new team bios that we have here. This is on the company strategic presentation. And of course, you know, AJ, there he is. And he uh, basically came out of the educational sector and moved into product management. And he worked for some Fortune 500 companies. We hired him despite that, just joking. And of course, he's a tremendous organizer, uh, really, 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 really good at uh, complex project education, uh, execution rather, I'm sorry. Lend themselves well to the development of origin clears present and future incubations. We'll talk about that in the free will and discussion because that's a developing story. And he has an MBA, which is more than I have. Um, and so that, as a matter of fact, he's very scientific about business, which is excellent. All right. And then um, Bill Charneski, who's been around for many, many years, and he is heading mergers and acquisitions for Water On Demand, Inc. Um, and, um, and uh, he basically, wow, he has had so many lives at Origin Clear in many, many positions, um, but he... <laughs> When he first came along, what was it like 2010? He was like, he he showed up in my office and he was insisting like, you need to hire me. 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 And finally I said, okay, fine, fine, Bill, fine. And uh, and he turned out to be very, very um, uh, adaptive and uh, lots of, you know, the thing about Bill is that um, he's like a quiet riot, right? He's He's got a tremendous grasp of detail, but he also is very persistent. And we've already begun the process of talking to the acquisitions <clears throat> that we plan to make post the oh. prospective merger, right? So we have a few months here of quiet time while the SEC goes through its review. Well, this is our opportunity to go out there and talk to these companies and to give them, to give us um, uh, letters of intent, uh, non-binding letters of intent, to just basically line these deals up, not publicize them because again, it's quiet period, but be ready so that the day this merger, should it happen, occurs, 
we will have a series of definitive agreements. We just go bang, 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 bang. And that's reflected in the um, the forecasts. The, a lot of acquisitions happen very, very quickly starting in mid-2024. Why? Because we're spending the first half of 2024 solidifying these deals and getting them ready. Anyway, so he is on board with this. He has an MBA as well. So I'm surrounded by people who know more, more about business than I do, which is wonderful. All right. So with that, the free willing discussion. Yeah, I, I push back on that whole MBA thing. I, I did it because it was supposed to be a job separator because – so what is it? I think it's only 25% of the people in this country have above a high school diploma. And of those people, only 25% hold a, a degree above that. So if you can put yourself in that category, that puts you in a, in a cut above to be able to find a job. And what was my first job out of high school? I was a tire sales manager for Firestone. So it shows you how, <laughs> how much that pays off, right? Used car salesman. Right, right. Well, that, that, there's an, you know, uh, sir, that's a radial tire. You're going to have to replace that. That's right. <laughs> No, it, it it is it is awful though because like anything else, when you pick up expertise in a particular area, it stays with you. So I'm constantly walking through the parking lots and and looking at people's tires and going, "You're probably going to die soon. You really need to get those changed." And then I look at my own and I'm like, "Oh, I got to get over to the tire shop." Right? So, you, so you do the, you do the Lincoln good. penny test with the head of the Lincoln, you know, uh-huh. tread treadwear. Okay, yeah, good. Yeah, yeah no, you got you got to stay on top of that stuff. No, uh, it's it's a. Uh, like I said, it's it's interesting to to kind of see the, the love experience, but no, uh, I, I would just. smart people and i am in in no uh, no uh no way lacking in moving over to present company excluded or yeah yeah, no, well, yeah. I, you're on I, a break from that no <laughs> are, you, are you kidding the, the this is a whole this is a whole different ball of wax you you pointed this out rigs right like you pointed out there's a in in the uh in the eric mueller podcast there's a level of comfort and and i think a level of of uh kind of manufactured, I don't want to call it delusion because that's it seems like a derogatory term, but it's basically what it is that, that we all kind of come up with this expectation like, well, if you if you can be in a bigger company, if you can be in corporate America, if you can be with these Fortune 500 companies, then you're safe and you're comfortable and everything. But really what it does is it it stifles you to a large degree, right? Because they're, they're happy to have you in a position that works for them, but there's not dogma what works for it. you. And so, so coming to work for Origin Clear and understanding that we are we're, we're being a disruptor in the space and having so much more opportunity, which you guys have already given me, right? It, it's it's a breath of fresh air and it's exciting and it's new and it's fun. And is there risk? Of course, there's risk. There's always risk in everything. But my goodness, am I excited to tackle some freaking problems? Yeah, you bet. It's going to be well, fantastic. And we're not bound by dogma. We are like, listen, we take all ideas, even bad ones. Uh, you know, we 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 want to hear them because look. I mean, you know, in, in the first days that I had started working with Riggs, I remember the, the late night calls 
And, you know, 11 o'clock at night, I just started saying, look, I have some ideas. Now, in the past, it was kind of like, yeah, no, I got it figured out. He, he just he just shut up. He just listened. And I went on and on. And he went, OK, OK. That, and you know what? And the next day, a lot of those ideas were being implemented. And that's it, there's a sense of value that comes with, um, you know, having an idea, germinating it and then expressing it to your team and have your team immediately go, no, that's so good. And and it gets to the point where Riggs and I often in these conversations, he'll start finishing my sentences. We're all going to start finishing because we, we, we are on the same page. So when you have a couple of different kind of generally smart guys looking at a problem and you're arriving at the same, roughly the same method of tackling it, it's a, it's a good sense that you're, that you're at least you're either all you're either all mutually insane or you're on or you're on to, or you're on the right track. Yes, and um, Linda Rudin just posted uh, that you know three years ago you heard about water problems once in a blue moon. Now every week you hear about a drought, dangerous drinking Absolutely. water, toxic accidents that contaminate water supplies, drastic change, and this is true. Now the problems were there. What has happened really is awareness. It's it's actually bubbling up, right? These, for example, to this day people don't know. South Bend, which was a huge manufacturing center. I think, didn't they make uh, uh, dishwashers there or something? Anyway, lots of manufacturing in South Bend has a terrible problem. And it's just nobody talks about it, right? So uh, Ron Williams says, uh, could you share the website um, so I can look up my local water quality? Well, the website is ewg.org, Environmental Working Group, ewg.org slash tap water. So forward slash tap water and just put in your zip code. You'll be very interested. Now, AJ, while you were talking about education and about how an MBA, you know, didn't necessarily make you smart, and here's uh, a clue why, and I want to pull this up because this is really, really, really interesting what we're talking about. Let's just take a look at this. Study that was done in the 1960s, and it was really um, uh, commissioned by NASA because they wanted to know how to hire more geniuses. So they hired George Land and his team to go out and figure out, like, what makes a genius. So they started with a group of five-year-olds and they gave them a creativity test. So the way they defined genius was, how do you use your creative imagination to solve problems? And what they found was of this group of five-year-olds, 98% qualified as geniuses. Then they came back five years later when this group was 10 years old and it was down to 30%. Five years later at 15, it was down to 12%. And then I think they just kind of gave up and like discussed, but George Land took it further and went out and surveyed adults and found that only 2% of adults. And the thing that's also very interesting is he attributed this to school, 100% to school, that you would take a population, 98% genius and dumb them down to 2%. And his, one of his quotes that I love is he said, uncreative behavior and thinking is learned. Fascinating here is that education as we know it creates uh, rigid walls, really, and then we have to unlearn it later right. on in life, right? Right, right. right. Yeah. That, was, that was my reference to dogma. There, like, this is how you do it. Most people that you associate today with as geniuses, just take Elon Musk, forget about their IQ for a minute. It's really people that are able to think radically different than other people and simply do not accept a thing is a thing because somebody told them so. 
we saw this during during the lockdowns, right? Certain people simply said, no, that's not a thing, right? They were thinking for themselves and other people weren't. Um, that extends to all aspects of life. I, I just don't think, I, I don't know that a, a genius can necessarily take a test and be determined. It's their ability to solve problems in real time, taking the circumstances and 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 situations around them and and. I think flexibility and adaptivity is really 90% of it in my view. Um, and th that's why certain companies are able to survive all of these near-death experiences. It's, it's, not, it's, it's the, the company's ability to execute on, on you know, kind of edicts given by management, but it's also management being able to look over the horizon, see the battlefield and say, all right, we need to, you know, I know I just told you to do this, and Briggs, how many times have we done this to our people? I know I just told you like two days ago to do all this. Well, don't do not do any of it and do all that. And they go, okay. And they do it. And you know what? And and here we are. So. Yeah. And, and also, you know, for example, I, re I remember like a few months ago, we were, we were evolving different funnels, marketing funnels, and um, we were about to abandon version one and go to version two. And we said, well, let's just keep version one around. <laughs> and sure enough, it proved to be over the long term more durable. Killer. And, yeah. Right. And because we were not dogmatic. We we're not, well, we're going to do one, then two, then three, then four. No, we just kind of kept them alive. I believe the reason why is very simple that the, this version one was created by Ken directly from an inspiration that he a got. Guy. Right. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, not only that, but you had a, a an example. You found yeah. an example of a successful funnel that somebody else built, and you said that works. And on the spot, you drove Kevin Pruitt crazy for about twenty four <laughs> hours and created something I really worked fast. Kevin like a rented mule for like twelve hours. But and the he point delivered. Is, Thank God, right? Exactly. The point is, is that that is so much more important than any any long studies or things sure. that should be a certain way. You, and also it it bottles um, sincerity. And if there's one thing that I think when we do well as a company, it's when we are transparent and sincere, when we tell it like it is, and we, you know, we speak the, the best truth we know how. And I want to, I, I know we're running out of time. Um, Gene Tully says a lot of common sense goes a long way too. Yes. I did want to mention, I kind of teased this at the, uh, at the end of, of my uh, the, the the formal part of the briefing, which is that we are developing a direction for Origin Clear. Um, now, right now, our job is to foster Water on Demand Inc. to build it out, and we have so much work to do. Basically, Origin Clear has a management services contract with Water on Demand Inc. to provide a lot of virtual services. But over time, those will be uh, staffed up properly in the eventual Nasdaq company should that occur. Now, acquisitions, all that stuff, but. What does Origin Clear do besides being a landlord of you know 35, 40% of water on demand ink, which is a nice thing, but it's not just going to be uh, rentier, as we say in French, as, as a person who gets royalties. It, it'll be, um, we're going to, we want to repeat that hat trick. And here's what we figured out we're really good at. And that is retail fundraising. We are really good at crowdfunding and working with uh, accredited investors. Now, where one of the things I do not want to do is do that for a company that then is no good, right? So what I realized, and this is why, in fact, AJ and Ken, you guys are are going to be uh, auditing um, 
Ted McGrath's uh, conference the next couple of days because he does a lot of this. How do you improve, uh, you know, all this coaching stuff? Because we will have to coach these companies, right? Sure. We're going to have to improve them so that if we do fundraise them, something good comes out of it. So it's a whole new business model. Really, really exciting. Through our boot camp of so- of sorts, we 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 will have a we we will have um, it'll be uh, twelve weeks at Paris Island. Well, and it's very similar to what Y Combinator has. That's a very sure. successful sure. Uh, incubator. Okay. Um, but they do it somewhat differently. We know, I think, where we're going with this. A lot more, again, very little very time. Very different model. Us. Right. They have a very different model. But uh, well, what it is, it, it sort of goes, you, you have a thousand applicants and, and one comes out of it, which is that stupid, like, you're selected for Harvard kind of crap. I'm, I'm more about we work with partners to, to find the very best and then we just make commitments. And here's the interesting part. We are considering not just doing it in water. Why? Because water is about the toughest space to crack. And it took us so long to do it. <laughs> and you get a big win out of it. But we we don't necessarily need to keep origin clear, the, the incubator, uh, married to water. For example, Tom Marchesella was talking about, hey, what about getting into water and energy mm-hmm. combination? Very mm-hmm. exciting. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, James Rice says, I don't get it. Are you becoming a start engine? No, start engine is a platform and they say we'll help you. They kind of do. No reg- no crowdfunding platform really, really helps you. They are just provide you a, with a good. They give you, they give you a presence. Crowd- so start engine is kind of like posting your product on Amazon. Right. They 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 open you up to the world. Right. But they're not in there training your people how to tell your story, how to craft your vision, how to articulate it, how to how to duplicate it. Right. AJ and I spent a couple of hours today in my office, his office, our office now. Wow. Um, You know, and and we're 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 retooling with with all. Now that I have a guy who could put a deck together in under 14 days, um, <laughs> because that's generally how long it'll take me to do, you know, we can we can start that. I don't have to recycle kind of our, um, you know, kind of things that we've already created and try to like flesh the story around them. We're going to be able to tell the story from a fresh perspective and really tell it in chronological order, Riggs. You know, we talked about, remember, remember writing a book about this one day, Okay. Well, there's a story to be told here on how we got here, um, but we're gonna we're gonna basically t- talk about the state of things the way they are, um, and how we have the solution, and then and then basically demonstrate that solution, and that can be done very very efficiently and succinctly because he's got the ability to to you know he's he's gonna project manage how it's how it's portrayed. Well, and and you know there was very you know remember in the eighties we had something called the Mac Way, which was a yeah. a whole um, um, almost a cult really of how th- things were presented on a Mac. That I'm not going to get into it. The point is there was a Mac Way, and it it really was the hallmark of Apple. And we have an origin clear way mm-hmm. right? sure. that we are going to bake it. We are going to reduce it to practice. Uh, starting with a pilot, but it's not going to be soon because we. I really, 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 really want Water on Demand Inc. To Absolutely, no wonderful it'll, future. It'll so, be it'll be way behind. But to answer Eugene Tully's question, I'll give you a direct example. Eugene, we work with a a, a, a TV, uh, TV. It was James Wright. It was James Wright, actually. Oh, I'm sorry. T- TV uh, TV studio. 
that works with emerging companies that are starting out early. And he said of 20 of them, 15 of them can't, they have a phenomenal idea. They can't raise money. They don't know how. Um, so being able to, you know, what we've built up is a wealth of expertise. Um, you know, the Liam Neeson thing. I have a unique set of skills. Um, so we can we can build these as a team. We've developed this unique set of skills and, and we can export that ability and allow other companies to get that very urgent early capital to give them a chance that we got. Right. So it in a way, it's a great model for us, but it's also paying it forward. And it requires company transformation, because that's what yep. we did with with the creation of water demand, all the things we learned creating modular water, et cetera. And I, I'm desperately short of time. But basically what we have done, and in many cases, like stumbling into walls and like, whoa, whoa you know, kind of like that the mouse, in, the mouse in the maze. Well, now we kind of know, and we want to reduce that process to a blueprint, which, in fact, uh, at that conference, Ted McGrath will talk about. And he's a he's brilliant. I love him, and uh, he's a good friend. Um, he he uh, and and many others have a process, and we're going to embed our process as well, so that when we take on a client, and this is down the road again, it's going to be with um, the idea that we're we're going to make sure they succeed, not just raise money for them. That's sure. super important. And, and and just to that point, when I entered the picture five years ago, I came in with a very well-organized system that was taught to me. That you do this, you do this, you, it was called straight line, right? And this is how you do it. Now, of course it has evolved over the decades, but you can't have enough working systems as far as I'm concerned. And, and you can take the best parts of each one and kind of marry them to where you you kind of find your own voice. I'm excited. I'm really excited to embark on that. Yes. So that that gives a real exciting future forge and clear. Those of you who wonder what the heck is going to happen with that. We will not just be an asset holder of Water on Demand Inc., which is a lovely thing. I'm not going to rest on our laurels. That's too passive. We're going to have some fun with this. Everyone, it's, it's fantastic. Oh, and, and Tom says, you guys are so brilliant with your ideas. Wow, very impressive. James Wright. I work with another company that helps take other companies to market eventually IPO. Not sure if that tracks or not. We can talk about this stuff eventually, Ken. Well, just real fast, we are we are the alternate route, not the VC route. The VC route, and it, it's it's a very this. Take for example, Boxable, which is a great example, or Nightscope with a K. They raised all their money in crowdfunding, a hundred percent of it. Right. That is the way. It's a whole new way, but you have to be an excellent company. There's no question Boxable is an excellent company. All right. and um, But they're also brilliant marketers. No, no, brilliant, all the, all the above. Persistent marketers, right? All the, the above. And is off the Why hook. do we have AJ? Hello. That's right. <laughs> all right. That's right. Um, quickly, Chase Atkinson, can you ship a modular wastewater system to Canada ASAP for industrial subdivision? The answer is yes. Okay, send the email to me, CEO at originclear.com, so that I can get it to the team because um, I don't want it to go into the general bin. Uh, and Scott says, I own some Nightscope, very smart. And um, what do you do, Scott? And Gene Tully says, excited to watch you guys lead. Thank you all. I'm going to have to, yeah, Chase, I tried what was rejected. That's why I want you to send it to me. I want to see what this is about. Okay. So thank you all. It's been, uh, as usual, a pleasure. I guarantee you we'll have a great show. Not next week because 
Thursday, I'll be at Thanksgiving dinner. But the week after, we will have the first December briefing. And I'll have lots. Oh, yeah. I think some exciting news is coming. Oh, yeah. yeah. I uh-huh. heard a rumor. Yeah, yeah. I heard so, a rumor. Stay tuned, everyone. Happy Thanksgiving. Don't overeat. Remember, it, the stuff does keep, so you can save it. <laughs> All right. Peace out. Yeah.